Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success, hosted by John Biggs. Every week, we talk to an amazing person about a time they failed and what they learned. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. Welcome back to Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success. And today on the show, we have Stephen Marsh. He's an author, uh, most recently, of On Writing and Failure, which sounded Perfect for the uh, perfect for the show. Welcome, Stephen. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I think I think your your concept was fascinating. The idea that that even the greatest authors uh, were essentially failures. I think you went through uh, Melville. You went through uh, Jesus. I think you went to Socrates. It was a, yeah. it was a really cool. Uh, it was a cool all uh, cool. Yeah, all the greats. So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit? What so what inspired this book? Well, you know. For many years, I sort of kept a sort of common book or, or really like a diary of like different writerly failures around that I like, because for some reason I found that like when people tell stories about like six failures that turn into successes or like, you know, like people who like fought hard and then won in the end, you know, those stories aren't very comforting to me. Like those, those, mm-hmm. those never made me feel better. Whereas the stories of like, you know, that James Joyce could never get a job uh, that paid him enough, um, to make a living. Um, that's sort of more useful information or that Herman Melville like wrote better every book and sold less copies every book. That's actually pretty useful information to know, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the way these things do. And, uh, and oddly, I think that kind of realism about the realities of what it is to write, um, is consoling and comforting. And so like, it, it's kind of, um, you know, it see it might seem like a depressing book, but it's actually a pretty affirming book, I think. That's yeah, I mean, what I, I think hope it is anyway. Well, I, I think your point, like Herman Melville, he, like his one of his best one of his best books was Billy Budd, and he wrote that posthumously, or he it was published posthumously. Posthumously, it's difficult to write it posthumously. Yeah, it spent twenty three years in a uh, bread box in his house, right? Like, and it was, and like, meanwhile, his first book, which was called Taipei. A peep at Polynesian life is, which is a really poor book, probably his poorest book, was a really significant bestseller. So he mm-hmm. really didn't have an experience. It was like something that a cruel god would think up, where the better he wrote, the less it resonated with people. Until in the end, you know, he was he was not even able to self-publish Billy Bud, and he was writing sort of zine bits, like like he was <laughs> self-publishing little Civil War poems afterwards, and it wasn't, and it, it really while he was working as a tax inspector. So you know, um, like a very like a very cruel kind of life for him, for sure. So I think the question is like, so I guess I guess we're we could classify ourselves as writers. Do what what do you? What should we take away from from his story? Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound very promising, ultimately. Well, I think that the results are not really um, a determinant of quality, right? Mm-hmm. Or that um, doing the, the best work of this stuff is going to lead to material or, uh, you know, or recogni- you know, the recognition that you crave. In fact, no one ever, I mean, I think the larger point of this book is that in my experience anyway, with writers who I know who are very, I would consider very successful, um, they often don't feel recognized ever. And that ha- I think that has to do with something very specific to writing. I don't think that has to do with, like, I don't think that's general in life. I think in, in writing, there's a certain kind of way that um, failure is kind of in, inevitable and inherent to the process and also never, never goes away. 
tell me about some of your experiences dealing with failure. I mean, you're super prolific. I noticed uh, you had a lot of you had a lot of uh, you have a lot of articles in, in New Yorker, uh, various other other places. You have a couple books. You just have a brand new book out, uh, mm-hmm. the new Civil War. What? How long did it take to get to a point where? Where first off you're comfortable sending that kind of stuff out and like approaching editors or, or or just being on like a first name basis with a lot of your editors and things, and then have you ever gone whole hog on something and then realized that it wasn't going to work or nobody wanted it, etc. Oh well, I mean, I, I I don't know any writers who don't have you know unwritten stuff or killed mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I actually thought <laughs> I was talking with one writer the other day that there would be a great book in like killed stories like mm-hmm. if you just if you just put if you just got all the writers killed stories together but i mean you know this these are not um like as for w- when i started sending things out i mean i started sending things out when i needed to make a living from being a writer when like i left you know i was a professor and my wife got a job in toronto when we we moved back and i had to make a living as a freelance writer so i didn't you know there wasn't a lot of like humming and hawing it was like i better do this or mm-hmm. like i'm not going to be able to pay for my kids daycare. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I've never been particularly shy that way, but on the other hand, like, I don't know if I would even consider rejection at this point. Like, I don't really, I don't feel rejection. Like, I don't, like, I just send things out. I wait to hear back. Like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even really notice it much. Mm-hmm. Um, now that is part of like being a process of just doing this for many years, but like, I wouldn't consider, I also wouldn't consider successful like getting into a particular place or something like that because there's a mm-hmm. lot of real failures who do that and who suck and who and who get all those you know all the accomplishments that are external and and, and you know and so like I don't I I really wouldn't um, those aren't my values if you know what I mean mm-hmm. like those are not that that's not what I consider worth envying or what or uh, or or worth or worth having as goals. I think that's I think that's an interesting point because I think we're when we talk about when we talk about the idea of failure, uh, I mean look we we can't we can't know for sure that Melville was like unhappy that Billy Budd didn't get published. We don't. know. He was deeply Maybe. miserable for the, the last <laughs> twenty five years of his life. Okay, he was in a I was terribly I, depressed, <laughs> permanent state of depression. All right. Well, I, I, I didn't. I guess I need to brush up on my uh, on my Melville psychi- uh, psychology. Uh, Okay. All right. So, well, we can, we can, we can, we can move on from that. That was, that was an interesting, that's an interesting point. Like, yeah. did, did, did we know that T.S. Eliot was upset that he was a, uh, that he worked at a bank? Well, I mean, he was working at a bank when he was still sending stuff out and he was mm-hmm. writing modernist poetry and he was writing, you know, I mean, how long, I think it took him like two and a half years to write the wasteland. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think he had any expectation that he would make a living from writing a single poem over two years, right? Those are different, those are different goals. Certainly it took Ezra Pound a long time to talk him out of the bank, right? Mm-hmm. To talk him, uh, to talk him out of leaving the bank. I think he didn't leave it until he was in his mid thirties, actually. Maybe it was mm-hmm. his early thirties, but um, yeah. And then, I mean, there are lots of examples of people who, who did actually stop uh, like Wallace Stevens, who worked as an insurance agent for like 15 years until he made enough money and then started doing poetry again. But, although that's, that's not in the book. But, um, you know, those are not, I mean, you know, I, I think that's just part of normal life, right? Like normal life is never really smooth and nor should you expect it to be. It's not, that's just not how it works. 
in in your research into these writers, what what do you think drove them uh, to continue writing even even in the face of potential failure, even in the face of I guess uh, being unsuccessful commercially? I guess. Well, it's very. I mean, it's very interesting what drives people because, like, one of the more interesting things is like I looked at writers who like had had a complete had the world open to them, like had mm-hmm. complete. Like like Ralph Ellison after he published Invisible Man, like I mean he could have really like he there was nothing that he couldn't do. And the author who wrote Joe Gold's Secret in New York in New Yorker, like somebody said he was the greatest um, writer of declarative sentences in the English language. And they never wrote again, really. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I think one thing that I I really did learn writing this book is that perseverance, like the resistance to your writing, is actually one of the things that makes you write. Right. Like the thing that lets us like, they're not going to want to hear this or I have to show them what they are, what they are missing out on. Or this is the like, that's actually a key part of the whole process. If it's just open to you completely, Uh um, that's when people stop. Right. And or, or, you know, they have a tendency to. So I think like there are lots of reasons to write Um, some bad, some good, some very simple, like people need money some like high art reasons um some some people just love the language although that's the rarest of the i I would say of the reasons to keep going um but i I think there is definitely a feeling that that i got in this that the perseverance required the persistence that i'm going to show them is actually a big part of Mm mm-hmm that's interesting. Did, did did you see any specific examples of like folks who said, "I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna show the status quo that uh, that oh, I this think kind it's of writing is important"? Okay. I think it, like if you look at like Machiavelli writing The Prince, like he writes The Prince when he's out of power, and he's mm-hmm. been tor- and the man he's writing it to is the guy who tortured him, right? And, and and released him. Like he is he is absolutely aware that he's writing something to show people, like, okay, look. This is, I know how power works. You may not think it. I may be, you know, a bum living in, in these places, but I actually know how to do it. Same with like Anakmatova, like, you know, where she's like writing, she like literally can't write things down because the, the police, the secret police keep coming for her. So she, so she um, has friends over, memorizes the poetry in her head, writes it down briefly, gives it to them, has them memorize it quickly and then burns it. Right. Like mm-hmm. when, when you're doing that, you're if that's a sign that you're that what your words really matter. Right. That like the, the, the persistence required to get the words out there is a sign of just how valuable they are. Right. So I, I would say actually and then there, I mean, the book is actually full of the, that. Those are the examples of what it is. Right. Like people who persevere, like they need to get their language out and they feel they need to get the language out. Mm hmm. Do we have that same urgency today uh, when it comes to writing, when it comes to when it comes to thought in in that medium? Well, I think, you know, the thing about digital writing for a digital era is that it's so easy to send things out. I mean, like the, the, the massive quantities of rejection that I've received are also a part of the the, um, you know, the production that you mentioned. Like, it's like I can write for all these places that would not have been possible even 30 40 years ago right like you would i would have had to i would have had to be living in new york to be in any Mm -hmm. of these places um but i can just send it out now to anyone around the world and that leads naturally to more rejection so i think we are living in a time where there's actually a ton of rejection and not only that i think like 
the younger the writer, the more rejection they're going to have to deal with, the more persistence they're going to have, because, you know, the, the, the entire frame of how we write keeps changing all the time. So I, I spoke to a writer uh, a couple years ago, and he pointed out uh, when he came in, uh, he came up in the, the late 90s, uh, yeah. around like the, the fern bar t- type of like uh, of fiction that was that was popular around there. It was kind of like young people in a in a yuppie world, that sort of thing. And he came up during that point, and and he and he almost felt like he wanted to gatekeep because he had to fight so hard to get attention. And now anybody can create a Tumblr kind of situation and, uh, and potentially get a book deal or at least get, I don't know, a couple thousand people to read their stuff. Is that a different, is that, is that part a different type of writing or are we talking about the same kind of thing? And are the failures different when it comes to those types of writing? He envies younger writers. <laughs> Seems I mean, that way. I think that's crazy. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, I genuinely feel like I mean, I am like straight in the middle of Gen X, but like to me, anyone ten years older than me had it much easier than <laughs> I did, and anyone ten years younger has it much harder. Like interesting. And, like like I think like it's way harder to get to carve out a space for yourself as a in literary fiction or you know like when ten oh, years yeah. bef- ten years older than me, all those guys are professors. Mm-hmm. Right. They all have like they all have like, you know, tenured jobs where they like literally don't have to worry about money. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're not that's not going to be the reality for anyone who's, let's say, 35 right now. Like that's just not like that. that's going to be a, the reality for a minuscule group of people. Right. So like, yeah, I, I, I mean, the idea that the Internet has made things easier for young writers to get noticed. I mean, first of all, no. And second of all, like, what kind of attention are you getting? Like, it's not mm-hmm. really the kind of attention that you want. Like, you want to be noted for the, your skill with language and the, you know, urgency of your voice, not like your Tumblr account, which is, <laughs> you know, mostly what you look like, right? And your poses. So it's, you, you know, no, I don't envy any kid writer. I definitely mm-hmm. not. If you're going to give advice to, uh, an upcoming generation based on the book, what would you say that, that people have to start doing? I don't really give advice because I don't feel like I know better than anyone else. And I think everyone has to go in this valley by themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I say in the book, like good writers offers advice, great writers often offer condolences. So I'm going to at least pretend to be a great writer. And I'll just say like, (laughs) I, I feel your pain. You know, like I like I, I would I, I would also say the, the main insight from the book is that the feeling of failure is not something that is going to go away. Right. It's not like what you should not pretend is that you're going to achieve something and then it'll be like, oh, I'm there. I've mm-hmm. reached, you know, I, and, and I've arrived like that. That literally doesn't happen to anyone as far as I can tell. And actually, the people that it does happen to, you don't want to be them. They don't. They, they also, um, like, they're, that's a, a fiction in their own head as much as anything. So, uh, you, you know, just if you want to do this, if you want to write, you should know that it involves perseverance and it involves a, a walk in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. How long was your walk in the wilderness, would you estimate? Or well, did I'm still it, in did, the wilderness, man. Still in the wilderness. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I feel like... I've got uh, a long way to go. Yeah. I feel like I I feel like there's a there's a mindset, especially like I think I think we're probably about the same age, Gen X, 
where we feel like we're kind of like settled in our ways. But I, but I think that's, I think that's refreshing to hear that you're still, uh, you're still wandering just like the rest of everybody. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've known people who like multiple international bestsellers and they're still in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I've known people like the, the opening anecdote of the book is like Philip Roth's being like, like, does he, you ever get a thicker skin? And he says, no, your skin gets thinner and thinner until they can see right through <laughs> you. Right. And like, that's Philip Roth. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't, um, I don't think, I don't think that's going to change. All right, Stephen, where can people find out, uh, read more of your stuff? I know you have a website. Uh, well, my website, stephenmarsh.com. That's all my books are on there if they want to mm-hmm. check them out. And um, On Writing and Failure is on Biblioasis or good bookstores everywhere. That's yeah. worth checking out, too. And your brand one is The Next Civil War, which uh, just came, well. Came out, uh, the, yeah, last came out, year. Yeah. All right, super. Yeah. All right, Stephen Marsh, thank you for joining us. This has been Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success. I'm John Biggs. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Keep Going. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. Paint my life with colors I